Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest team building podcast. Welcome to the first 2021 Team Leader ERS High Level Call with the one and only Clayton Mulford, Andy Cuny, and Jeff Cohn. And I don't think I've seen Andy pop on yet. So appreciate all of you guys being on time. Um, every Thursday, we will have a, a high level call like this one um, starting right at 1115 Central. Uh, it'll go for 30 minutes where we'll talk on a topic specific to scaling a residential real estate team. It can apply, obviously, to a brokerage and or an investment team. And then we'll always allow 30 minutes for Q&A. Um, it is my plan all of 2021 to present the kickoff topic of the month. So I'll be on the first Thursday call every month. Um, you'll see me on some additional Thursday calls, but a majority of the time it'll be Andy Cuny leading the two to four follow-up calls um, on Thursdays going into depth of whatever the topic was for that particular month. Um, just as a, a recap reminder for those that are attending with video, we appreciate you being on video. The only ask we have is that if you're in a moving vehicle, please do not screen share. If you're in a moving vehicle, as much as we want to see your beautiful faces, we don't want to see those faces in an accident. Uh, certainly don't want to be liable for that accident. So if you would please be sure not to screen share while you're in a moving vehicle, that would be awesome. Um, Dr. Sherry Flowell, I'm assuming you're in a parking lot. I am in the Starbucks uh, drive-thru. So drive-thru, perfect. That <laughs> qualifies then, okay. Um, we, we like this to be a group setting so everyone feels like they can engage. Um, it, that's one reason we do love to see the video. I, it might surprise you, but if you've led a big group meeting like this, I'm watching every single one of your faces, just kind of going through and seeing your reactions uh, to get the energy from you. So please know that I am paying attention. I'm watching. So out of respect to the speaker, if you do have other things, you need to multitask while you're on these calls. Again, I'd ask you don't share the video. We don't want to see you, you know, doing a bunch of other things while we're having our high level team leader coaching call. Um, one of the big strengths that comes out of these group sessions is that we're in a group of billions and billions of dollars of volume per year when we add up all of our production. And while we will continue to serve as the thought leader in the industry, there are things that each one of us inside this group can offer to the entire group. So while we will always have a topic to keep us on track, never feel like it has to be just you guys as the student just listening, we want you to participate and make this more of a mastermind, especially when we get into the Q&A section. So don't feel guilty if you wanna share additional strategies that are working in your area. You're not taking any of our thunder. If anything, you're just helping us grow and scale at a faster pace. So I wanna kick the call off by sharing where I came from. Not everyone has heard that story and I'll keep that one brief and then giving you an update of the transition we had from Berkshire Hathaway over to Keller Williams uh, in 2020. So I got my real estate license um, a couple years after high school. I think I did college took me three years. I got an undergrad in business from Omaha, Nebraska, University of Nebraska, Omaha. Spent two years in Brazil and right out of college, I got my real estate license and started selling. And I personally sold real estate for six years, doing a lot of the fu mundane functions that 
individual agents do, like prospecting, uh, putting signs in yards, especially grounds that are frozen, uh, paperwork, dotting I's, crossing T's, outbound prospecting, all the all the different functions of an agent. <clears throat> and a lot of times people ask me what one of my biggest regrets in the industry is. One of my biggest regrets was staying in production too long. So I sold uh, up until 2014, um, of course, starting in 2006. So 12 years I was uh, you know, producing. We launched our team in 2011. So I was producing alone for six years. Um, obviously, I had a transaction coordinator most of that time. But then in 2011, I decided that I wanted to build something that I could walk away from in retirement, which in my mind was going to be when my son left the house, uh, which will happen when he obviously turns 18, which I'll be 46. So we're about seven or eight years away from that. So my goal was that like within 15 to 20 years, I'd have the option of not having to sell real estate any longer once my son had left. And then I would just spend my time, you know, giving to others, traveling the world and doing all the things I want to do. Well, what happened and what this big picture training is going to be about is I was able to step out of the daily sales role within three years. So I know there's a handful. Why don't we show out of a show of hands of who today is going to sell at least 10 houses in 2021? 10 unit sales or more in 2021. So most of us, and that's very typical. Um, most teams, the Rainmaker will do over 50% of the sales. Uh, within most teams, the team will not be profitable without the Rainmaker selling. And I know a lot of people have followed me for a very long time because they've heard the story that I was able to step out of the business and everyone thinks, well, it's not that hard. You just add a bunch of agents and give them leads and hold them accountable. And of course the rest is history and I'll be able to stop selling and make a million dollars a year, uh, spending less than five hours a week on my business. And that is the big picture in a nutshell, but it's obviously not as simple as people may think. Um, we've had a fail forward a lot. Um, I'd say, Andy, you could probably confirm these numbers, but over the last 10 years after launching the team, I bet we've had over 130, 150 agents um, uh, come onto the team and probably about 100 have left the team. So you'll have tons of agents come and go. And I know a lot of people who've built teams know what I'm talking about. And part of that is you don't know what you're building when you're building it. And so you're not necessarily recruiting the right people. So in 2011, when we launched the team, I had done 70 sides. In 2012, I hired six agents at the beginning of 2012. And year in 2012, I went from 70 sides to 240 sides. So saw some massive growth. And the real big difference was hiring Boomtown in September of 2011. We were one of the first hundred platforms and getting agents to work the internet leads that were coming in and getting vendor partners to pay for the leads. So it really was as if that was the formula, finding agents that would work internet leads and then I'd charge a 50% referral fee. And starting in 2012, when we had the team, I stopped working with buyers. So that was a commitment I made in 2012. Who here has made that commitment? They're not going to work buyers any longer. I mean, maybe there's a one-off, right? A million-dollar buyer calls off of a sign, you show the house. But for the most part, the choice to not work buyers is simply a choice that you're going to spend more time in your highest income-producing activity, which would be sellers. So if that's what I did from 2012, 2013, and 2014, my last year in production, I only worked sellers and my team only worked buyers. And that's something we don't say very often, but... That's one interesting fact about the beginning of Omaha's Elite Real Estate Group is agents couldn't list houses. And I came up with that idea because of the Gary Keller's book, Millionaire Real Estate Agent. I today no longer agree that one agent should only work buyers and another agent should only work sellers. I think we should give everyone the ability to become the best versions of themselves. And there should be a progression where you earn the right to list maybe by working with five or 10 buyers. But I don't know that anyone ever has to serve exclusively within one role. 
I chose for myself to just work listings for three years, um, all the way through 2014, at which point I believed that I needed to give the agents the ability to be just like me, which is a quote I like to say oftentimes, true leaders serve their followers by giving them the ability to be just like them. And so in 2015, we decided we'd let the agents work both sides of the transaction. And in doing so, I stepped out of the listing side. And I actually hired one of my transaction coordinators to be my exclusive listing agent. And we worked out a salary plus bonus structure where I was keeping about 70%. Um, to this day, I no longer have someone on a salary. I have two to three agents I give my listing leads to, and I'm still keeping 70%, a 70% referral fee. So of course, there's structures all the way from just a salary to 100% commission and then everywhere in between. But if you're the rainmaker wanting to step out, it might be a lot less expensive than you had thought, just if you choose to change the way that you do things. And there's a lot of agents that will work on a listing lead for a 70, 80, even sometimes 90% referral fee. If you help them get the lead, you've teed it up you, and they just have to service it to closing, especially if they can generate buyer leads off of it. So um, our team then grew from 2014, um, sorry, from 2011 to 2017. We, we are known for being the fastest growing real estate team in history. Um, in six years, we went from 70 to over 700 unit sales. And in the process of all of this, we organically grew our coaching organization uh, because of the demand of people wanting to come check out our operations. We organically grew the podcast. We started the podcast because I was getting interviewed four or five times a week on other people's podcasts and people weren't asking me the questions I wanted to be answering. And so I just said, you know what, why don't I just start interviewing other people? And that's how the team building podcast was born five years ago. Um, in 2020, we actually just got a report. We had over 100,000 downloads on the team building podcast in 2020. So that's another place I'd love to point you guys. If you haven't done that yet, go out to elite real estate systems, click on podcast and just give us your email. So you'll get added every time a new episode releases, it'll email you. And then of course, if you're on Stitcher, YouTube, iTunes, it'll notify you every time a new episode rolls out. But there's a lot of great content on there that we don't get into on this, uh, in this particular training um, with interviews and everything like that with other top minded team leaders, brokers, owners, and thought leaders in the industry. Um, with all of that growth from 2017 to 2020, we didn't see much growth. We stayed around 700 units, um, even dropping. We went from like 730 units down to 670, 650, 630. And we were kind of stuck at about 25 to 30 agents and about $100 million in volume. We were the first team in Omaha to sell over 700 houses, first team in Omaha to do over 100 million in volume, first team in Omaha to generate over $3 million gross commission. But I, the, the truth is that for about, 36 months, we came to realize we weren't going to be able to grow beyond that point. We had essentially reached the glass ceiling of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, there weren't opportunities to allow us to grow. We couldn't own brokerage. We couldn't do satellite. We couldn't do expansion. They had a very hard time with us even having our own title company, mortgage company, and insurance company inside their office because they obviously already had their own ancillary businesses. And so in 2019, in December, we announced that we were going to take our real estate team, Omaha's Elite Real Estate Group, retire its jersey, make it a brokerage that launched in January of 2020 to become KW Elite Keller Williams Omaha. Um, the intent with our brokerage was that once we got our main Omaha hub up and running, we would then expand all across the country. We want, we want to have a KW hub in the top two cities of every state. So I'd like to be in over 100 markets over the, not I'd like to be, I'm going to be in over 100 markets in the next five years. 
Um, we chose to partner with Keller versus EXP, Compass, all these other great brokerages that are out there because we felt that our message was best heard by Keller Williams agents. And all of the people I've masterminded with over the years, the Keller Williams agents aligned the most with our culture, our belief system, um, our big picture, what we wanted to accomplish over the next five to 10 years. And so that was the primary reason. Um, elite real estate systems is agnostic to brokerage flags. So it doesn't matter to us who you're with. We want you to be in an environment that will help you become the best version of yourself. So if that means Remax or an indie or whatever it is, that's fine. We don't care. We're here to help you succeed with what you have, with where you are. Um, it makes no difference, but you will see me wear Keller Williams stuff and you'll see us talk about it. And please don't take offense if you're not Keller. Our intent is not to recruit you. However, if you do want to join Keller Williams, when you go to join in an office and they ask you who to name, we would ask that you name us. And if you choose to name us, there will be special discounts that we'll discuss with you one-on-one -on -one with Elite Real Estate Systems. So if you do join Keller at any point in your futures, as everyone hears me say this, there are some special deals if you do name us as your sponsor. Um, so we had this dysfunction over 36 months of no growth. And I kept asking myself, why aren't we growing? Because we kept adding agents, but we kept losing them to our broker who offered them a better split and better offices and better resources than our broker allowed us to offer. So the company created a policy that I couldn't offer my agents as good of a deal as the, the company I was working for was able to offer them. And so over the course of our five years at Berkshire Hathaway, we fed them over 50 agents, five zero agents that we trained, that we essentially helped teach how to build a real estate team. And they'd leave us to join our brokerage. And there's no profit share at Berkshire. There was no finder's fee. There was no compensation, just a swift kick in the butt. Thanks so much. And then they took the agent. So one of the nice things about Keller Williams is that anytime an agent leaves, if you've brought them in, and the same thing applies to EXP, I think Exit Realty, but any person you bring into the brokerage, if they don't join you or they leave you eventually, you still make a little percentage off of their sales if they're profitable and the office is profitable. So um, 2020, we came over with 25 agents. Uh, we were the top team in Nebraska. Uh, we did over 100 million, uh, 530 units, I wanna say in 2019 with all the distractions, obviously, of switching brokerages. Year in 2020, we grew over 300% in agent count, over 200% in um, uh, unit sales, and then over 300% um, in gross commission income. So our company generated over $6 million. Uh, we're at, we were at 74 agents as of last week. Uh, we just brought on two huge teams. One is the Ben Mathis team in Omaha, Nebraska, they have almost 20 agents. And then we have a huge broker in Lincoln that just committed to coming on with us that I can't announce their name yet, but Matt, you probably know who it is. So um, the, the reasoning of going brokerage, and I got asked a lot, who here has been asked a lot, when are you gonna start your own brokerage? I feel like I got asked that a lot when I was building my team out. And I'm like, why would I build a brokerage? You've heard broker, well, brokerage is called brokerages because you go broke. So the reason that I never did was because the profit margins were so good at the team level. The challenge became scalability and ancillary businesses. And from a big picture standpoint, when I look at where's the industry going, the agent commission will continue to get challenged and it's going to go down, down, down. So that might be 6% to 5%, 5 to 4 4 to 3%, 3% to just a fee base. But we will see that. Now, there will still be consumers that pay. Uh, definitely in niche markets, you'll see people paying, but I do know that we're going to get our commissions are going to continue to be challenged. And when that happens, how do we make up the difference? Where does the margin get built in that we're get, getting to enjoy today? And my belief is that that margin gets saved 
by creating ancillaries. The easiest ancillary after you've started a real estate team, in my opinion, whether there's several, but the first one I would say would be insurance. Um, insurance, if you can find a private insurance company right now, the company I partnered with that I have ownership in, they have 21 independent products. And essentially they can build a satellite insurance company. They built a satellite insurance company that they have ownership in and that I have 50% ownership in. And so for literally, I do nothing. I just started an LLC and made sure the person that owns it is licensed. And the same insurance company has all the back office support. And now I own 50% of an insurance company. That's kind of the in a nutshell. And this is actually one of our monthly topics we'll get into in 2021 is building ancillaries. The other company was a title company. Now, not all states use title. Some use attorneys. And I don't know what the options are there for owning a law firm. But for title uh, per se, same exact strategy that I did with insurance. Uh, we partnered with a title company five years ago that gave us 75% ownership in a title arm that was essentially a satellite of the main hub. We've now just bought out of that main hub um, and we are operating 100% independent of them. We're platinum title and escrow. We did $1.7 million in gross revenue in 2020. So over a thousand sides. So it's a very successful title business. Um, and then the third is mortgage, which is a very, very hard to launch. I launched a mortgage company in 2020, but there is a lot of revenue um, available in the mortgage world. Who here has ever been a loan officer before? Do we have anybody? A lot of times you'll see agents that were Justin. I think that was the only hand I saw. So a lot of people don't know this, but private mortgage firms, if they're correspondent lending, they make up to four or four and a half percent of the sales price in commission. They're making more commission than the agent. They're making more than the brokerage and they don't have any overhead. I mean, maybe an office. Um, your banker who you're sending deals to right now is making anywhere from 1% to 1.5% for every deal that you send them. And this is where I start talking about marketing service contribution. The title company you're working with, the mortgage company you're working with, and the insurance company you're working with are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, if not millions a year. How much are they contributing to your marketing spend? How many opportunities have they given you to partner to have some ownership in that business that you're helping them build? And this conversation goes with everyone you're giving leads to, your accountant, your massage therapist, the gym you work with, the apps you're using, the ancillary businesses you use inside your business like WiseHire and Sisu and Boomtown. Why are we giving all these people these opportunities and not asking for some type of compensation for our time? And so our business exploded uh, when we started reaching out back in 2014, 2015, and really getting serious about strategic marketing relationships to help us fund our lead generation efforts. So a few other fun stats. Um, starting in 2011, we started reaching out and asking for contribution. Um, since 2011 to 2021, if you saw my, who saw the podcast I had with Greer Allen, the CEO of Boomtown? If you're going to listen to one, that's a pretty damn good one to listen to. Not many of you. Shame on you guys. Go listen to that one. So in the interview, um, he wanted me to come prepared with some stats. So here's a fun one. So in the last 10 years, after launching Boomtown, we have spent, and I say we loosely, a majority of that spend came from ancillary businesses, $1 million in Google ads, Facebook ads, and Craigslist postings. $1 million. Who, and no one from my group, but who here can guess out of a million dollar spend how many humans registered on our website, omahaselite.com, which is now kwelite.com? How many registrations out of a million dollars over 10 years? Joe has a finger up. I like that. Four, for what? 400? 400, 400,000? 4%? 
Four hundred thousand. Four hundred thousand leads. Good guess. That'd be a pretty dang good um, lead to, sorry, click to lead ratio. Two hundred thousand. So one hundred thousand. One hundred thousand leads came off of a million dollar spend. So every ten dollars we spent, we got someone to register. So another way to say that is it cost us a dollar to get someone to click on an ad. And it took 10 people going to my website and going, this website sucks. They make me give them their contact information. And nine out of those 10 people go, peace out, I'm gonna go to Zillow or wherever else. But one out of 10 says, whatever, here's my contact info. In Omaha, people are more trusting. Over 70% of the people that register give us an accurate name and phone or name and email, which gives us the ability to communicate with them. So $10 to get a lead to, to come in and register out of 100,000 leads, and you can put fingers up if you want, I feel like we're like auctioning something. What percent close ratio do you think that we've enjoyed? Two, three, four, three. Good guesses, 2.4%, about 2.5. So we've done about 2,500 sides from internet leads over the course of our career and another 2,500 sides that were people's personal sphere for over a billion dollars in sales. And the thing that's so fascinating when I add up the commissions is it was over $33 million in gross commission and like 15 or $16 million that I was able to enjoy. Now that's obviously gross and then I have, we have all of our overhead expenses, et cetera. But when we all start thinking big picture and we look at our teams and ask ourselves, why aren't we successful? There's just a few components to success, the formula that I see for teams. And this doesn't just apply to teams, it applies to all businesses. And it really comes back to my keynote in 2019, which was class, which stood for culture, leads, accountability, systems, and strategies. And that, those, are, those are the pillars. So what's the culture you create? Those are the type of people you attract. Um, you attract those people by the person that you become. And we're gonna get into that in leadership this year. Um, accountability. What are your processes in place once you've trained someone on how to do something to make sure that they're doing it? How do you make sure they're going to trainings? How do you make sure they're prospecting? How do you make sure that they're inputting the information properly on CSU? How do you make sure they're showing up to team meetings? Um, systems. What are your back office systems? You know, are you using Trello boards for contract to close? Um, are you using an Excel spreadsheet? Are you in command? Are you in Boomtown? What are your systems to help your agents and your staff make more money in less time with less energy? Uh, strategies. Um, what are your marketing service agreements? What do they look like? How much money are you generating? Do you have broker fees to help offset different admin expenses? Um, what's your growth going to look like? What do you, what kind of boutique market do you want to get into? Um, when you do have an extra hundred thousand dollars, where are you going to put it? And these are like some of the challenges you start to face as an owner. Typically I'd make another hundred thousand. The government took another 42%. And so I started asking myself early on, where should I be putting this? How can I reinvest in my business so I don't have to pay taxes on it? And so there's a lot of strategies behind that. Um, lead generation and lead conversion um, are game changers. And the thing that I try to remind people, and when we get into big picture training with agents, I like to talk about this a lot. But when people hear Boomtown, Sync, Realtor.com, Command, they're thinking of internet leads. Most often, they're thinking of leads coming in that they don't know. All of those systems, while they have the ability to generate new opportunities, new conversations, the power of those systems is those systems' ability to help you and your agents stay in contact with your current already existing database. 
So while we delineated that we have a 2.5% close ratio on 100,000 leads that cost us a million dollars, that made us 33 million gross and netted us around 16. Um, while all that's fun and neat, there's more value to your agents and I think to your entire organization to use the CRM systems to help you convert already existing leads rather than leads you're having to pay for. The reason why is those leads don't cost anything more than your time and your relationships. You don't have to spend a million dollars to close sphere leads. Um, more often than not, it's just a function of calling people, to, to staying in touch, you know, reaching out virtually now, um, doing pop buys, and so on. So we kind of have found this formula. So when we audit a team and people get, up, get upset that they didn't grow this year versus last year, we ask, where are you spending your money on lead gen? How many agents are you giving those leads to? How are you training those agents and how are you holding them accountable? And it's usually that simple. So it's usually a function of you need to spend more on lead gen. You need to get more agents recruited onto your team. You need to do a better job with accountability and you need to do a better job at providing back office systems and strategies, leadership, motivation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is why you all are here today with us live. And this is why anyone watching the recording is choosing to watch it is, you know, you need to take something to the next level. This is perfect time for this call. And that's why we place big picture training here on the first Thursday of the year. Everything we're going to teach inside of elite real estate systems this year is going to be to help you guys grow your business in 2021. And our hope would be that we can become the training arm for your agents. You obviously have the option of using us to do the accountability coaching on a weekly basis with each individual agent. That's an extra $100 a month. But we have a very exciting announcement today that's actually going to be getting emailed out to you in the next couple of days. But I wanted to share it with you here first. And that is we are adding investor coaching starting next Tuesday and every Tuesday after that from 11.15 to 12.15. 30 minutes of topical, 30 minutes of Q&A with the one and only Clint Bartlett, my business partner, who has helped me amass over $10 million, $10 million portfolio in single family and multifamily homes in and around the Omaha area in a very short amount of time, just a matter of a couple of years. He led the October 2020 team leader training and coaching, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, on the month, but I believe it was October, focused on investing. The cost for the investor training on Tuesday is zero. We're gonna be offering that to you guys free of charge as a value add to keep you in the elite real estate systems network. We don't intend our coaching program to be an A to Z and then you leave. We intend it to be part of your systems and strategies. So you now have a vehicle to teach you how to take your disposable income and invest it in single family, multifamily, and it's free. Um, you don't have to participate live, just like the team leader coaching. If you can't make a live session, you can also just watch the recording. So um, our product, to keep it simple, we are an agent, and team leader coaching platform that also coaches team leaders and residential on how to invest in real estate. We can even help hold people accountable uh, to all their goals. And we don't only hold agents accountable, we can hold the team leaders accountable as well in 15 minute accountability meetings. But that's who we are. We don't do 30 minute you know, consulting calls. I don't do one-on-one -on -one calls. Um, of course, I know some of you've reached out to me periodically and that's fine, but typically I won't do an ongoing. We're a group coaching platform and we've picked the 12 topics that we think will help you guys scale your business the fastest. And we actually, <clears throat> anything we say we think you should do, we've actually done. We've actually split tested it and it's actually proven itself to work. And we've now watched hundreds, if not thousands of other real estate teams, agents and brokers implement these strategies and they work. 
Anything that doesn't, we're not going to recommend it. So there's a lot of podcasters and coaching organizations out there that I just call sellout organizations where they'll recommend product because they get paid a percentage of what you pay every month to that company, but they don't use the product themselves. We will never recommend a company that we're not using ourselves. And if we're not using them ourselves, we'll tell you why. There will be a reason why that has nothing to do with the product not being good, just might not be the right size of a company to support our growth. So that was, that was my introduction. Um, I'm two minutes short, but I would love to open the time up to you guys um, for Q&A. Um, one of the nice things about doing 30-minute topical, 30-minute Q&A is if you do come in live, you want to cut out early, you can. But most importantly, when you watch the recording, you don't need to be stuck for an additional 30 minutes of people asking random questions throughout the training. When you watch the recordings, you can just download two hours for the whole month and just skip the Q&A. But I will say, I think the gold nuggets come, obviously there's gold nuggets in the first 30 minutes, but there's a lot of gold nuggets of equal value, if not more, in these next 30 minutes. There are no rules in the next 30 minutes. You can ask whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. Um, this is an open mastermind forum. So anyone can talk, anyone can share. The idea is that we can just grow together. So the last thing I will say um, is that we just kicked off our Tuesday meeting this week with our brokerage here in Omaha and all of our expansion locations. We've already expanded into two or three markets across Nebraska. And we started it off with vision boards. And so over the next four weeks, we've invited everyone in our organization, we have over 100 people now, to share their vision board, take 60 seconds, share their board, and then they will work exclusively every week with their team leader or success manager, holding them accountable to the key performance indicators on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to be able to achieve what's on the vision board. If you and or the people in your organization can't realize their dreams inside of your world or the world you chose to be in, they should find another place to realize their dreams. And as a leader, you should care about them enough that you're willing to say to them, we are not a good fit. You're not going to be able to realize your dreams here. You should go over somewhere else. You should leave the real estate industry. You should go start your restaurant or whatever the case might be. And so that's our mindset. And Andy will get into that, um, talking about the vision board and then how you reverse engineer their income goals to their sales goals to their KPIs um, so that you can help keep them motivated. Money is not a motivating factor. It's what you do with the money that motivates you. And it's actually doing it. That is the ultimate motivation. Actually getting a result, not just a bank account, but then being able to act on something that is on that vision board. And what I have found is so fascinating, and then we'll get into Q&A, is that with every obstacle you tackle, there will always be the next thing, the next thing on the vision board, the next obstacle. And I have experienced in my life, and I would like to proposed to you to think in your life that there's not an, a finish line to the race that we're all in. We all started at a different time. We started at a different color. We started at a different sex. We started in a different city. We might've started with a different language as our primary language, but we're all in our very own race. The only person we race against is ourselves. And we don't need to think that there's a final end point to our race with our health or our race with our business or our race with the relationship that we have with our spouses or our kids. There's never a finish line. We're always working to improve who we are. And happiness and success comes from the journey we're in, in the race. It's not because we end the race. When we end the race, for me, I'm going to be in the ground. My race is done and I'll be buried hopefully six feet under and that's the end of the race. But I feel like we get the most passion and success and happiness out of life by not, not looking at anything like it's a finish line. So as you partner with ERS to build and scale your businesses this year, don't think that you have to hit 
you know, any particular um, end goal. There's no end goals inside. It's just multiple goals that will build on themselves. And the thing in my own personal experience that was fascinating to me that I didn't take into consideration was you can't see over the next peak. So anyone, has anyone here ever hiked a 14er? I did the Pikes Peak uh, four or five years ago with our Boy Scout troop. I weighed, when I did it, I weighed 320 pounds. I actually thought I should apply for Guinness Book of World Records. I bet I almost died. So I was like, I bet not very many 320 pounders have done this hike. But what was so disheartening with this hike was that every time I saw a peak, I thought it was the summit, but then there was another peak and then another peak and then another peak. It, took, it takes 12 hours to hike this thing. So you leave at two in the morning, you get there at two in the afternoon. You got to get on before two because there's lightning storms and it has a granite summit and then people die every year up there. So anyways, the thing that I want to share with you is that all of us have items on our vision board and we have goals we want to accomplish this year. That's just the first peak. So be prepared that you think, oh, once I make my first hundred thousand, once I make my first million, once I hire my 10th agent, once I buy my Lamborghini, everything will be better. Life will be perfect. And that's just not the case. And that's not what we want. We want it to be a constant journey and we want to put bigger peaks, bigger hurdles, bigger obstacles ahead of us. And to me, that's where I've gotten my greatest satisfaction in life and being willing to ask ourselves why, what is my big why today? That's what's going to fuel your motivation and doing the same for those in your organization is what is going to view, fuel their motivation to show up every day, to go to the trainings, to go on the appointments. And when they don't, all you have to do is ask them what they want to remove from their vision board. And I can't imagine there being another question that's more motivating than that. I'm going to open it up to you guys. What do you want to talk about today? You can ask questions in chat or you can pop your hand like Sherry just did. And we'll just ask, we'll just answer this way. Who's on deck? I'll Sherry in one second. Who's coming on after that? All right. We'll go, to Peter Peter after that. That. go ahead, Jerry. Okay. Um, we've been toying with the idea of putting a cap on our agent's personal business on the team and just kind of wondering what everybody, if other teams are doing this and what might be a good number for that or how we figure out a good number for that. That's awesome. Who here, show of hands, has caps on their agents? A cap is where they have a split until they've paid in a certain dollar amount. And then once they've paid in that dollar amount, you, you don't need to charge them a split any longer for typically a 12 month rotation. All right, Jeremy, you wanna go first? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked because I'm kind of struggling with that too. Uh, I only have a couple agents and we put a $25,000 cap. However, it is, is that the right number? Is it the wrong number? I mean, who's to say? Maybe, maybe there's no right or wrong answer. Um, cause I, I'm, I, I think I'd like to do a lower split, but then have a transaction fee on each one. Um, rather than, the rather than the, rather than the $25,000 split. Cool. Thank you, Jeremy. Our number is 25,000 as well. So any agent that's a capper within our organization, it's a 70, 30 split until they've paid in 25,000. And then we allow agents to apply to be team leaders. And once they're a team leader, we actually do a double team cap of 50,000. So we can have mega teams come over and they only have to pay in 50,000. But the commission conversation and what kind of splits one should offer always should be based on how are you helping the agent net a certain dollar amount. So independent of if you have a cap or you don't or what the split is, it should always come back to how much is the agent generating off of the services that you provide. So you typically will see a brokerage that's designed to give way more commission away is probably a brokerage that doesn't offer as much value. 
So while on the cover of the book, it might look more enticing to offer better splits for the agents to attract more people, it's probably you're probably building a problem into your organization in that you're now not going to be able to offer them as much. So you have to decide culturally, who do you want to be? Another thing I'd want to say, I actually just picked up rock stars at Baker's. I know I shouldn't be drinking these, but I'm addicted to them. And it was buy one, get one free. And I was able to buy this rock star for a dollar nine, which is super inexpensive for an energy drink. Usually they're $2 for an energy drink. What is rock stars margin on my dollar nine? What's rock stars margin on my $2 and 18 cents? Do you think when Rockstar sends the case of Rockstars out to, for distribution, they know what kind of net profit they're going to make off every can? Do you think Starbucks knows how much it's going to make off of every cup of coffee? They all know their margins. And so the way to know how much you make off your agents as an aggregate total is take the amount you made off your agents divided by how many agents you have. That's the number. So what we've found since the launch of our team is that we averaged around $20,000 a year per agent. That's what, that was our number. Some agents I made 70 grand a year off of, some I made nothing off of, but the average ended up becoming 20, which told me one agent is worth $20,000 a year for life, as long as they stay inside of our organization. We chose 25 as our cap because our overhead expenses are much higher now that we run a brokerage versus a team. But you could choose to think of it that way. And it's very inspiring when you go to recruit and you know, I'm making 20 grand a year for life off of this person. That's an exciting number. That's more than you're going to make off of a rental property. That's a lot more than what you're going to make off of a rental property. And I know it sounds some, somewhat cryptic to think of agents like a can of Rockstar in terms of margin, but what are you doing? Are you building a business or a club? All right, Peter. Um, I've been doing, um, we're, we're going to be expanding this year. Thanks for all your work on the podcast. Um, can you validate your numbers for me in terms of, we're bringing on a new agent. Can you just tell me if I'm on the right page? 150 calls a week. 25% of that gets to 37 connections. And then um, of that, um, you get down to 10, 10 or 15% of that down to 3.7. And then you try to get as many conversions off of that. So off 150 calls, you project out to about 36 closings per month. Um, I will break, I'll break the numbers down really quick. So what Good, we've said you. is that 150 calls equals one sale. And will you, will you mute Sorry. yourself, Peter, or have someone mute you? So um, in our experience over those, those million dollars spent on 100,000 leads, our intent was that the agents would call those leads 10 times, send two text messages, leave two voicemails. We had our process. And we'll teach you guys all of this in lead conversion. Um, what, what we came to find out was that the more times you try to call someone, the more often you're going to get in contact. And the more contacts, the more appointments you go on. And the more appointments you go on, the more sales you get. And the more sales, the more commission, and the more times you can accomplish your dreams. So we were like, what if we just tracked everything? What if we tracked every time we, an agent tried to get in contact? And I want to define today, the word call does not mean a phone call. The word call means an attempt to communicate. That can be a text. That can be an email. That can be a Facebook message. That can be a Snapchat. Whatever that person wants as far as the medium to communicate, that's a call. But what we came to find out is that it took five call attempts to get one person to answer. And it took 10 people to answer to get one person to agree to a face-to-face -face appointment, which would be a buyer pres or a list pres. And it took three face-to-face -face appointments to get one person under contract. So essentially every, every 150 attempts to communicate would lead to one executed contract. And in our market, 
we knew that it take it takes 36 executed contracts to make $100,000 a year. So where your numbers are coming from, Peter, is that we then would take 36 executed time, 150 outbound calls, divided over 52 weeks, ends up being about 104 and a half call attempts a week. And then we just had to hold the agent accountable to making 104 calls a week. Any agent that systematically will make 100 dials a week will make $100,000 a year. If you make 200 dials a week, you'll make 200,000 a year. The reason the number equal, it usually matches that is because not all their calls are going to internet leads. Those are the worst calls to make. I told Greer Allen in person last year that his leads were horrible. I said, you know, your leads are awful, right? They're the worst. But what are you supposed to do when you've reached your point of diminishing returns with your engagement in your sphere of influence? And now you need additional leads to kick off to some new agents that just joined. you got to do something, cold prospecting or internet leads or both. And so an agent should focus all their time on sphere, but not everyone has enough sphere to focus on. And at that point, you're going to start working on generating your own internet leads or you'll generate leads for them. Great question, Peter. And I know we get into all of that, obviously, in our lead conversion. We'll go with Warren and Associates and then who's on deck? All right, we'll have Dr. Sherry Flewellen on deck. All right, hey, Jeff. Uh, question for you, the ancillary businesses that you have, how are how is your mortgage company going around? We're getting a lot of pushback and feedback from uh, different brokers and whatnot on what partnering with Zillow. Zillow's kind of going through some, some issues with that, uh, as well as how are you going around getting them to um, help with your marketing cost cover leads? Um, well, going around, I'm not going around anything. I don't have any contracts with any, if we're talking marketing service agreements, um, I don't have an actual contract. Uh, RESPA does not require that. The CFPB also, who governs banks, do not require an actual formal contract. I feel like by having a contract, you're probably, you're putting yourself out for more risk because if the regulations would change, um, you'd have to update that contract every time. So to me, I'd rather just stay in compliance with no contract in place, more like a handshake agreement. The only agreement when it comes to MSAs is a promise of marketing. You're nothing more than a billboard. So I promise the lender and title and sprinkler system company and painter company that they're going to get to be on our website. They'll be in our purchase agreement. They'll be in our listing agreement. That's all you can really offer promise to them. Obviously, you're not promising them leads. I've even been told you can't promise them access to your office meetings. You can't even say, I guarantee you can come into every meeting every week. Even though we do allow that, you can't promise that. So you keep it pretty simple. Then they also have to have access to the leads. So all they're doing is buying leads and sending them to a CRM and giving you access to their CRM is the way that I look at it. As far as our own um, mortgage company and title company and insurance company, we are in marketing service agreements with big teams. And that's exactly how we handle them as well. So I don't know Zillow. Zillow obviously has the biggest target on their back. They always would tell agents that 50% of the spend had to come from the agent and 50% from the lender. Truth be told, I've never seen that in legal writ. If anyone has, send it to me and I'll send you a $100 gift card. If you see a legal policy somewhere that says it has to be a 50-50 blend. The reason I believe that existed is because Zillow found algorithmically that the agent would close more deals if they had their own skin in the game than if the lender was paying for 100% of it. So Zillow knew to survive, they had to make the agent pay half. And that is the case. If an agent pays for Zillow leads, they'll close three times as many. If they don't pay for the Zillow leads, they'll close one third as many. So we found that to be a, a constant as an agent might start doing Google ads and they're crushing it. I'm like, how are you closing at 6%? And when you were doing our leads, you were only 2.5%. 
oh, you were willing to actually make the 10 phone calls and two appoint, you know, two text messages and two voicemails when you knew you didn't have to pay a 50% referral fee. And that's not a surprise. And what I always tell agents is just do both. Work our leads and work your own leads. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Does that answer your question? I know there's a lot more we could say to that question, but I think that's Yeah, probably- I mean, it's it gets me going. I mean, we'll talk, I'll, I may go through other means to kind of reach out to you and kind of give you more of a backstory, but thank you. Okay. Yep, no worries, man. And it's a good question and it's a good thing for us to be thinking about. Don't hesitate to reach out about that one. All right. Who was up next? Alyssa, was it you that we said was on deck? Uh, yeah, I think it was me. Oh yeah, Dr. Sherry and then Alyssa, you'll be on deck. Perfect, thanks for uh, taking my question. Love being here. Um, so as, as uh, JP, who's also on here, he and I, um, well, he's, he's the team lead. I'm like the background support. Um, as we're implementing some of these things, like we just, over this past couple months, we've implemented um, uh, the, um, what's it called, JP? The, uh, the, the fee, the broker fee. Um, you would think we would have like told our team that the world is ending. And, um, and so every time we, we shift and change something in, um, that's consistent with our perspective of how to grow, it's, it's meeting a lot of resistance, which I, I can kind of understand. So, but I'm just wondering in the big picture, what is the narrative that you uh, couch all your changes in that help the, the rest of the team accept that? And also recognizing that not everybody's going to accept it. And sure. what level of attrition do you accept as expected versus maybe I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't yep. have a good enough who, narrative. A show of hands, who here has a broker fee that they charge? And it might be because your broker has one as well. Who has a fee on all the contracts? About half. Out of everyone that has a fee, who has a buyer or seller fee that's over $300? $500. So what we have found is that clients don't know the difference. Agents have a perception of what they can and can't do. And they'll use the excuse that no one else is doing it, which is like the worst, worst cliche excuse of anything you've ever heard. Nobody else is doing it. Well, you're doing it. The client doesn't challenge it. The agent does. And the agent challenges it because they think it's a money grab by you. So if they can see why it's not a money grab and that that money's gonna serve them, then they'll be more than happy to have the client pay for it. They'll even be okay paying for it in the one-off event, what um, Andy, 5% of the time maybe the client doesn't pay and then the agent has to pay, we don't pay it. Um, In our world, it's $600, this is the brokerage rule. Imagine joining a brokerage right now, $600 on the buy side and $900 on the sell side, just for the broker fee. On top of that, we do a $500 overhead expense to market their listing. So they're 1400 in when they take a listing inside of Keller Williams. But if you saw the value they got, it's like $5,000 worth of value and the time it saves them, agents don't have to do anything contract to close. So Sherry, if you went to them and said, well, look at all these processes, we're gonna adapt the ERS Trello board. There's 19 touch points to a buyer and 27 to a seller. And we're gonna do drone flyover, drone fly through, Matterport, virtual reality. You know, and I've got a thousand other things I would tell them we offer to them. And yeah, it's gonna cost your buyer an extra 300 bucks and a seller an extra 600. You wanna help us do it? They're probably gonna be convinced that it's worth it. Andy, why don't you jump in? I know you unmuted and. I didn't hear pushback. I just came to the point where I made rules and then Andy got to hear all the pushback. So 
Yeah, I will say, you know what, there's two things that I want to point out, Sherry, with that situation is we absolutely have pushback as well, right? We were always, we always, what's Jeff saying? If you're not ruffling feathers, you're not playing with enough chickens. So he said, he always said, our agent's complaining. And I would say, no, everything's going really well right now. And then he would change things up. So I learned to tell him that we always had complaints. So then what we would do is the two complaints I would always hear about this, the two situations is um, one, to make it happen we would start having these conversations one-on-one with the agents weekly, right? It wouldn't just be a, hey guys, Monday meeting, everybody's here. By the way, we're increasing the broker fee to X. It would be, hey, we're thinking about doing this, Sherry. What do you think about it? What are your reservations? What excites you about it? Here's what you would get. So by the time we announce it in front of the entire team, right, we've already had one-on-one conversations and we're ready to uh, remove every sort of doubt, right? Or um, counterpoint that they have to it. The second thing is, it is absolutely a mindset. What they're telling you that they're scared of is not the truth, is what I would say. We've had multiple agents who would push back on that, wave it constantly, and argue about it all the time. Then they would leave the team, and now they charge it and just keep it for themselves, but they're not adding any of the value that they argued wasn't there. Does that make sense? So it absolutely, it goes back to Jeff. It's like, well, I'm not going to convert your internet lead, but I'll double down and convert my own, right? So it's absolutely a mindset. If you can just show them, well, hey, for that $500 that you're charging, we can give you massive value, right? And not just the $500 that you could offer your client themselves. So it's absolutely mindset. We've seen it all the time. And yes, it is worth ruffling some feathers and having some hard conversations to get that because without those types of things and strategies, you're not going to grow. Awesome. Thanks. Yep. All right, Alyssa, you're up. Who's on deck? Every, uh, everyone has to have some question. It doesn't matter if your question sucks for everybody else. You guys can be as selfish as you want as you've seen some of these people. Patricia, you're on deck. Perfect. And then Justin. Uh, so this is kind of a selfish question too. So uh, it's very specific. Um, so my, well, after we um, left your office when we were there in September, I approached our team leader at KW about having a team cap. Right now we don't. I pay a full cap. Every member on my team pays a half cap, but at 10%. So they is don't. The last thing at 10%? Yeah, at a 90-10 split to the market center. Okay. All right, so, and then they're on a 50-50 with me for leads, a 60-40 if it's their personal. Okay. Okay, so our market center was like, yeah, sure, we'll do a team cap. Well, the way that, I, I need to know how to negotiate because the way that they are proposing it is insane to me. It's, it's no benefit whatsoever. So right now, my cap is 22,000. Theirs is around twelve. Okay, so last year, we didn't have an amazing year. It was a growing year for us. Most of our agents didn't join till June. Um, and we paid the market center 60,000 total. I capped one of my agents capped. Everybody else was you know, on their way, but did not cap. Um, they are proposing a $60,000 team cap, but with every agent that I bring on, it ups 5,000. And that's, that's no, that's actually right. worse. And like going, going along with the conversation on this, that's their number. So as long as they get the base from you, they need five grand an agent. That, okay. That's what the broker just saying that they need. Are you in their physical space? 
No, I got out. You're not even in their physical space. No, I'm on. I had to stay in the same building because I do. I am not in a profitable market center, mm-hmm. and so I could not open my own office outside of Keller Williams, but we happen to be in an 11 story building. So mm-hmm. the workaround was I'm on the eighth floor, but I rent this space myself. Yeah. Another way to think of this is they're doing a $60,000 double team cap and every 12 agents is another $60,000. So like you gotta, I, and I understand that and we're gonna do the same. We haven't decided the number of people. Um, and this is super high level and I appreciate you asking the question. Let's not spend a lot more time on it, Alyssa, because okay. it is quite specific to you but that's their number that they're gonna to choose to draw a line in the sand. And this is the exact situation where KW Elite Omaha will partner with you to be an indie off of us at a $50,000 double team cap. And you'll leave your market center, physically leave their territory as long as we can get the region to approve you as an indie associated with us. And that is what Gary, that's what I told Gary Keller we were gonna build. And he's like, I'm in. Call me. Yeah, let's go. That's exactly what we wanna do. <laughs> okay. All right, next. Who's up? Sorry, I couldn't remember who was before Justin. Patricia and Greg? Yeah. Um, hey, guys. Yeah. So my question is about, um, um, you know, being the team lead uh, and about getting out of production. And I just thought I would check and see if there's some common or like appropriate timelines for that or structure. So I'm, I still, up until last year, was one of the top salespeople on my team. We have six agents now. Um, but the the senior agents, as I like to call them, are really starting to step up. Their production is getting where it needs to be. And so I want to kind of seize opportunities to back out of production and do more high level things like inside of the company. Awesome. I think everyone here resonates with that question. Who here has stepped out of production 100%? We did this earlier. Not very many people, right? A couple of us. Why don't we take an opportunity to allow you two, Jim and Allison, to answer that question based on your experience? When do you think is the right time? And of course, you guys have a lot of you have heard my answer and I'll answer it again as well at the end. Jim? So we, Allison and I kind of, we were at a brokerage before we just moved over this year or last year. And one of our goals was to get 100% out. And so the the move allowed us to make that a little bit sooner than we wanted. Um, We had about probably six, no, we had four agents when we left and we, we got to about eight and we've been following your podcast. I went to Omaha, uh, I think in March of 19 and we kind of wanted to adopt all that stuff. And I don't think there's ever really a, a right time. I think you just have to go. And we made it work this past year with the pandemic and everything. We were kind of afraid, but everything kind of came into fruition and, it's worked. We didn't hit our numbers. We had a goal of a million GCI. We fell short of, I think, 70,000. We do with tracking. Um, it's scary because you've got to rely on agents hitting the numbers that they say they want to hit. We do. We did the goal boards. We base everything off what they want to do. And um, we just have to put everything, all of our efforts into them hitting their goals. And we got to look at it unselfishly where it's all about them and not about us. And we knew taking, doing that, it was a risk. And we just have to look at the bigger picture. And it, it's worked out. We're not anywhere where we want to be, but um, that's why we're here and we're trying to, to keep going. I don't, I don't know if there's a, a better time. And I don't know if I answered your question. I just kind of. Good answer, Jim. I liked it. Um, it's a, a mindset shift because it's never a good time because when you choose to stop working as an agent, 
you're going to lose the money you made working the job as an agent. That's a job that you have right now. So as an agent, all of us on this call could, should be making a million dollars a year. If we were just prospecting and going on listing presentations, buyer presentations, and turning it over to everybody else, you'd be making a million dollars a year. That's what I would do if I went back and said my team was a failure, I shouldn't have done it. I'd be a Navy SEAL agent. I'd just prospect, I'd go to tons of events, I'd golf, I'd bring in tons of leads and I'd let two or three rock star agents service it. But that would still be a job where my name is necessary, my face is necessary. So I think the better answer that goes along with Jim's answer, which was not wrong, is a mathematical equation. And this is the answer I typically give. And it's the most simple way to look at it. And it's the way I looked at it when I chose to stop buyers and then eventually chose to stop working on listings. And that is when my team makes me enough money net that I don't have to sell any longer, I'll choose to not sell any longer. And that number can be whatever you define it to be. I think the simplest would just be another way to say it would be, how much did I make in my best year? Call it 200 grand. Do I want, can I live off 200 grand? If the answer is yes, then you could say, when my team nets me 200 grand, I'll stop servicing the leads. But what you're going to find is going to happen is your team will make you 100 grand and then your sales make you 200. So now you're at 300. So if you're staying true to yourself, you'll take a loss on the other 100 and give yourself those 20 hours to focus on all the other stuff that we've been talking about today, where eventually you come to a point where you don't have to work listings at all and, and or buyers, and you can put all your time into building out the ancillaries or spending time at the spa or with your dog or whatever it is, the things that you want to do. The thing that makes me disheartened, and I've seen some of your guys' Facebook posts as well, and I did it as well when I was in production. Joe, I'm going to pick on you because Joe came to the workshop and Joe crushes. He does hundreds of sales and his Facebook showed it recently. He posted all the people he helped. And I know that Joe personally did those sales. Joe serviced them. That was Joe's job. Joe sacrificed time with family, friends, hobbies, church, spirituality, health. Everything got sacrificed so he could service those 127 people. And they are so grateful, even though he'll never talk to them again. Why couldn't Joe had just doubled his leads and charge a 50% referral fee and not service to single person. And that's the big picture mindset. It's the answer is it's scary as hell. If you live a $200,000 a year lifestyle or half a million lifestyle or 40 grand a year lifestyle to walk away from that income that you're relying on is scary. And so you don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to pull a bandaid and take this huge risk. Just do it slowly, step-by-step. Step. It might take you 10 years. I thought it'd take me 20 years. I went into this team idea going in 20 years, I want to stop having to service clients. I didn't think it would happen in three years. And the reason it happened fast for me is I kept doubling my team. So in 12, we had six agents. In 2013, we had 12 agents. In 2014, we had over 20 agents. We just kept growing the team, losing a ton of agents, by the way, along the way. Tons of collateral damage, tons of failed marketing efforts, tons of failed hires, tons of failure over and over and over and over and over until we became experts at most of all of the functions of the team. Andy, you got another comment? Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, Patricia, I appreciate you bringing that question up. Your check is in the mail because it's a perfect segue into next week's call where we are going to talk about the nine steps of, of the uh, business plan that we followed from Jeff being an individual agent all the way to stepping out of the business. And all of you, what's gonna be cool about it is everybody on this call and, and next week, everybody's at one of those different steps. Right. And so we're going to find out um, uh, what step you're at. What is the next step? Where should we, you be focusing your energy so that you can get to the next one? And it all culminates with exiting the business. So I'm really excited. I was literally looking at my notes because I'm taking notes for next week. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. So thank you, Patricia. 
Awesome. Thank you, Andy, for that as well. Um, we'll also do a better job at announcing in this meeting what the next week's meeting is going to be. Um, and also, we do send an email out. If you're not getting that, make sure to let us know. But there's always a recap email of the Monday, Wednesday, Thursday will now be a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday recap. So if you're ever like, where, where am I supposed to go? Just get the email and watch the trainings from the email and you should be set. All right. I think there was one more question and then I'm going to wrap up. Was there one more? Was that it? No, there was one more, I thought. Yeah, I, I was for me, Jeff. Oh, go ahead, Justin. It's funny. I like, I know where the person was on the screen, but then when someone <laughs> leaves, I'm like, Justin's not there anymore. All right, uh, go ahead. Last question. Hey, thanks for everything. Great, great stuff today. Um, Happy New Year. I uh, had a question just for everybody to see if anybody has, um, uh, anybody works at a higher price point. I'm dealing with um, pushback from agents wanting uh, better splits. Um, as they're getting more production and um, uh, uh, you know, the cap thing's new for me. I've never had a cap. I'm on a 50, 50 with my agent sphere or, or internet, wherever the leads come is 50, 50, no matter what. And then uh, I've, I've never really had to deal with the 5% bump. Once they get to a certain amount, I've just kind of like not done, but now I'm getting that question yeah. as they're uh, now that they're paying in a hundred thousand a year or 80,000 a year or 120 a year, they're paying into me. They're saying, Hey, I've made you 120,000. Can we make adjustments? So I'm just wondering, uh, how uh, my average price point is about a million to a million and a half uh, per deal. So I'm I'm wondering if anybody has experience. Like I know uh, ERS had for eight deals, you bump every five percent up to eighty twenty. Uh, but and I don't remember your actually yeah. volume number. But I'm just wondering if anybody has feedback on that. In real quick, Justin, what's the split you have with your broker? Because it's not a true fifty fifty with your agent if your broker's Cor taking money away. Correct. So he takes 5% of their deals. Um, uh, it's either it's 5% or 695, whatever's the greater. Okay. So, you know, so on some of them, like we just did one where it was a $830,000 purchase, the agent and I are splitting at 50, 50, but then they have to pay him a 695, which actually equals like a 10%. 10 so you're, you're not paying the broker anything? No, I'm a hundred percent with the brokerage. So, but so when your agents do deals, they have to pay a 5% or up to so, 695. Correct. So when you so say 50-50 like, with your agent, you're getting 50. They're getting 50 minus that 5%. Now they're at like 45%. Correct. 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 So now we're having that conversation too. Hey, can you split this 5% with me? So I was going to approach the broker and say, hey, how can we do this? You know, and yeah. then, you know, try to figure something out. But well, uh, your, your split first off is amazing. Does anyone here have a more advantageous split, meaning they're keeping more of their agent's money than greedy old Justin Miller. <laughs> you do, Allison. And it probably comes down the line of the reason that it somebody would take more is because they offer more. And I know, Justin, you are a servant leader as well. So that's well, I may have misspoken on that we, with our brokerage. We were 100% as well and, and less fee than what Justin Do you let said. your agents have a, are there your agents at a 50-50 on sphere and personal deals? No, 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 no. I'm, okay. I'm sorry. I got that wrong. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. I retract. So I haven't, you're fine. <laughs> I redact my statement. No, so um, I think that you should consider something for them. I can see why they'd want to give you pushback. But 50-50 is common, you guys, and higher price points, which is unbelievable. Um, what you were referencing, which is an important delineation as well, is that in 2019, we chose to do a tiered split for internet leads our brokerage generated. So brokerage leads were typically 50-50, but we allowed agents to make all the way up to an 80-20 split, and it was based on unit sales. So their first four were 50-50, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong. Their second four were 70-30, and then their last four were 80-20. Is that how we did it, Andy? Oh, no, 50-50, 60-40, 70-30, 30-20, 80-20, right? Every four units, but I, that's a confusing and it's hard to track. I wouldn't do it that way. 
I think I go back to the question about the cap uh, Alyssa had asked. I think the cap is where it's at. That's a real business. Why would you continue to make exponential cut off of an agent? It's just like what the brokers do to us. That's not a real business model. And what you've done in that model is they see you're keeping 100%. So how do you turn somebody into you? And this is a philosophical question and we can leave on this mindset. But if you're giving them the ability to be just like you, how can you have a 50-50 split? They're making half of what you get to make when you sell a house. And if you're a great leader, everyone should want to be like you when they grow up. And so why wouldn't you create a world that gave them the ability to be just like you? So just like me, you know, if I if you had a cap with your brokerage of X, then the agent could have a cap with you of Y. It doesn't need to be the same cap. But that would be my suggestion is that we all think about that as we build out our teams and the culture that we've created. Make sure that it's a fair relationship with the split that the broker offers you versus the split that you're choosing to offer the agent with the delineation being the difference in the value you offer because you're offering way more value to your agent than your broker's probably offering to you, which is the exact same experience we've had. And that's why we take a little bit more than what the broker chose to take from our agents. All right, we're gonna wrap on that. You guys, this was an awesome high-level Thursday call. Thank you. Um, Clayton will continue crushing the Monday topicals and the Wednesday dialogue. So be sure to get your agents on those. And until next time, Andy will be crushing the next team leader call. And next Tuesday, Clint will be get, providing his kickoff call for investor coaching and training. So you guys be sure to take advantage of that. I think Clint's gonna do an awesome job and we really appreciate all of your guys' support. Happy New Year.